the doctrine of sanctification. And the big word that a lot of people do not understand and a lot of people get wrong in all reality. And so tonight, I'm hoping to set some things straight when it comes to sanctification. And so it's a blessed doctrine to study. And one of the problems I believe is, and it's interesting, I'm going to probably talk about a few groups tonight as we begin on sanctification. Most of them probably don't even know what they believe about sanctification, but this is what, they're, what they say they believe. And so sanctification is a blessing, and we'll talk about this tonight. You have a lot of verses there in your notes, and it looks like a book tonight, I know. But I would much rather, if you're going to have a doctrine, the study of something, you better have a lot of Bible there. I was listening, yeah, I listened this morning, as I went running this morning, I listened to a message of someone preached last night in a church, one verse, and they didn't even use that verse the rest of their message. And I listened the whole time, and I was infuriated that they called themselves a Bible-preaching pastor, and you use one verse and go off on your own tangent the entire time. And so that's not how it's supposed to be, but that's okay. And um, so as we start out tonight, I'm not giving you a verse to begin with. I'm going to give you lots of verses throughout the message tonight. When it comes to sanctification, it's like lots of different other doctrines and topics that we talk about. There are people that go to the extremes. On one side of things, there's this group that it means really nothing to them. And then on the opposite side, they basically think that, um, and this would be more the Arminian side. This would be, so you have, you have a lot of people that have two different thoughts. I remember when I first started pastoring, I was asked this question. I knocked on someone's door. And their question is, are you Calvinistic or are you Arminian? Armini, what? Cal I'm not a Calvinist. And so I just remember I stood there, and I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, what do I answer? And so I said, and this was my honest answer, I don't know. Say, you're pastor, and the guy's like, you're pastoring and you don't know? They didn't teach me that in Bible college. I didn't know there was a difference between any of those things. So what did I do that day? I went and looked it up. And so they do a broad spectrum of it, and I'm just going to give you the gist of it. So there are a lot of things. I am not a Calvinist, and I'm not Arminian. I'm neither one. So if someone asked me that today, I don't say I'm a Calvinist. I don't say that I'm an Arminian. I say I'm a Biblicist. I follow the Bible, or I'd say I'm a Baptist. That's another good way of saying it. But basically, the two different sides... An Arminian believes that you can lose your salvation. And then I would say the Calvinist, that, that area is more that you can't lose your salvation. Now there's a lot more to this side that we're not going to get into tonight. But when you look down the road of the Arminian side, and especially the holiness movement, I don't know if any of you are very familiar with the holiness movement. And uh, you know, there's lots of, we could go down Methodist, the Church of the Nazarene, Pentecostals, the Salvation Army group of churches, Christian and missionary alliances, and charismatic groups would all fall under the Arminian side when it comes to sanctification and these thoughts. And John Wesley, we sing some of his songs, and there's some great songs, and some of that Wesleyan doctrine would also lean down this way. But basically what it says in one form or another is, and to varying degrees, it teaches that every believer needs to experience a second work of grace. 
And this work of grace falls under the general heading of sanctification. They would call it the second blessing, sinless perfection. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Or full salvation, entire sanctification, perfect love, the higher life, cleansed, um, baptism of the Holy Ghost is another phrase for it. And uh, one of the guys that I like to study and read his work is uh, Harry Ironside. I don't know if any of you know Harry Ironside at all. But did you know that he started out as a member of the Salvation Army Church? Now, some of you think Salvation Army, that's just a thrift store. No, there was more to it, okay? And uh, you might not realize that, but there was more to it. But this is what he said in one of his books. In the book, in case you wonder, Holiness, the False and the True is the name of the book. And this is what he puts in there. He says, When converted, God graciously forgives all sins committed up to the time when one repents. That's what a someone in the Salvation Army Church believes. And this would be someone down the Arminian lines. Let me read this again. When converted, God graciously forgives all sins committed up to the time when one repents. But the believer is then placed in a lifelong probation, during which he may at any time forfeit his justification and peace with God if he falls into sin from which he does not at once repent. In order, therefore, to maintain himself in a safe condition, he needs a further work of grace called sanctification. This work has to do with sin, the root, as justification has to do with sin, the fruit. Now, you hear that, and this is the thing. Once you're saved, you are always saved. And also, when you get saved, you aren't just forgiven for your past sins. You're forgiven for your past, present, and future sins. And so there's a lot there, but when we look at this, and when we're going to look at this tonight, I want you to see what sanctification is, and then I'm going to apply it to today and the future and the moment we got saved, okay, and how it looks. So as we look here, you see, first of all, that the word sanctification means to be set apart or consecrated. Set apart or consecrated. Holy. Holiness. When we think about the perfect form, the perfect form of the word sanctification, we think of God. He is perfectly holy. He is set apart. There is no one like him. He is sanctification personified. Now, if we look at ourselves and sanctification, what does it mean? Where do we go with this? Most theological the, most theologians define sanctification as a work of grace wherein the believer is gradually cleansed from his corrupt nature to the end of being presented faultless before God. And that is not a good definition. And I'm going to explain that to you as we look tonight at what the Bible says. Because, as I've mentioned, this is a wonderful word of sanctification. But this is the thing. We, the moment you get saved, you are set apart and cleansed. That does not mean you're perfect. And, that, and I've heard preachers get behind the pulpit and say, I am sinless. And he lied right then, and he sinned by saying that. So when we look at this, and we look at sanctification, I want to break this down to help you tonight, and I hope that by the time we're done, it helps you. On Sunday morning, we're going to be tackling a portion of 1 Peter chapter number 3. And there's a verse there 
that really, I've heard a lot of people go very, it's one of those verses that I would be fine not even trying to explain to you about Jesus preaching to those in captivity after he died. I would be fine not preaching that verse to you. But if I'm going verse by verse, I've got to include that. But my goal on Sunday is that by the time I'm done explaining it all to you, that it all makes enough sense to you that you're not questioning even more. And so tonight, with, when it comes to sanctification, I want you to understand what it is, and I'm praying that you get it tonight by the time we're done. Number one, as we dive in, we see the nature of sanctification. The nature of sanctification. And when we think about this, and we think about sanctification, the first thing I want you to see, in relation to the believer, the Word of God is clear about our sanctification when we get saved, what our, our sanctification in this Christian life, and our sanctification after this life. And so I want to explain these three to you. Letter A, we see positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. So when I say this, I'm talking about who we are in Christ, or what we are in Christ might even be a better way of saying it. We are sanctified once and for all. This is how God sees me tonight. He sees me as sanctified. He sees me in Christ, right? We are, now get this, in God's eyes, we are perfect. Don't, now, does that mean I am perfect tonight? No. In God's eyes, I'm perfect. Why? Because when God looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ. And I've been imputed his righteousness. Does that make sense? We'll make more sense of this as we go through here. And so as we look at this and we think about this, and we think about sanctification, positional sanctification, we see, number one, the basis of absolute sanctification is the blood of Christ, his blood. So tonight, who I am in Christ is settled. When God looks at Brian Patterson, God sees me perfect. That's, that's crazy to me. I, I know I'm not perfect. And even the best days that I have, I'm still far from perfect. Yeah. Glad to know Russ is back in church tonight. He's awake. And so give him five more minutes, he'll be asleep, but he's awake right now. When we look at this, Hebrews 13, verse number 12, the Bible tells us, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his blood, suffered without the gate. And so tonight, the basis of our sanctification is in the blood of Jesus. Number two, we see the absolute sanctification is the perfection of the conscience. Now, when I talk about that, when we look at that, when we think about what that is, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, verse number two, for then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have, should have had no more conscience of sin. And so, in Christ, we've been set free. In Christ, we are sanctified. Number three, when we talk about absolute sanctification, it is an eternal thing, never to be repeated. There are those out there, as I mentioned, those you need a second helping of grace. You don't need a second helping of grace. Once you get grace, you don't need it a second time. You are sanctified. And this is what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 10 and 14. Verse 10 says, we just read it here. Go to verse number 14. 
It says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You see that right there? So in God's eyes, and we think about this positional sanctification, this is who we are in Christ. Tonight in Jesus Christ, you are perfect. Don't lose sight. Now, this is the thing. I hear many Baptists, and does God, do we sin? Yes, we sin. Can we hinder our prayers by our sin? Yes, we can hinder our prayers by our sin. But you cannot do anything to make God love you more or get in special graces with him because we, our righteousness is filthy rags. All that we have is because of Jesus Christ. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's nothing that we've done. It's what Jesus Christ did for us. So when we think about this positional sanctification, it's who we are in Christ. We are perfect forever. But then we see letter B, there's progressive sanctification. Just because in Christ we are perfect, that doesn't mean tonight you're perfect. Does that make sense? That's it. If you can sit here and claim that you're perfect, you are a liar. Because just even having that thought would be pride. And you messed it up right there. And saying you're perfect, you lied. And so between the two, and, or you're saying God's book's a lie. And I wouldn't want to do that either. But when we talk about progressive sanctification, and we look at this tonight, it's what we are becoming in Christ. You are not a finished work tonight. You say, but I'm perfect in God's sight. Yes, you are. But you're still not perfect in this life. And we are progressively becoming what God wants us to become. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, verse number 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Do you see that right there? You see the fact that whom he did for no, we've looked at that. We've looked at predestination things. He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. I love this verse in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. We're going to talk about conformed here for a second. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God does not want you. Now, the word conform, I think of cookie dough. And taking a cookie cutter, and you take the dough, and you put the cookie cutter in it, and it makes a mold. It molds the dough to the cookie cutter. The Bible says we are not to be conformed or let this world mold us or shape us into what it wants us to be. Because I don't know if you've realized, this world has an idea of what Christians should be. Have you realized that? And what this world says a Christian should be is nothing like what this book says. And what the Bible says is, don't be conformed to this world, but let the Word of God, let God and the renewing of your mind has to do with the Word of God and things, be transformed from the inside out. But it says here, don't be conformed to this world, but we read a minute ago in chapter 8, verse number 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So what's God's goal for us? God's goal is not for us to be molded by this world, but his goal for us is to be molded by him into what he wants us to be. That's what he wants tonight. And there are things that happen in our lives and things that go on, and God is doing a work in us to conform us to the image of his son. That's what God wants. 
The Bible tells us um, in Philippians 3, verse number 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. The Lord is trying to make you like him. That's why the Christian life, you should be growing. You should be constantly growing. I want to grow to be more like Jesus. If you say, I haven't changed in 20 years, shame on you. Because you can't tell me 20 years ago you were like Christ. Because you're still not like him today. And you won't be like him till you see him. And will be as he is. So as we look tonight, our, in Christ, we are perfect. But in this life, we are not. And the Lord is trying to take us and mold us to the image of his son. And what, when we look at that, and we think about that tonight, and we think about this progressive sanctification, what does this look like? It's talking about in this life, number one, there it refers to our walk and our service for God. So many verses I have you look at. And the work of sanctification, it's, and God uses, you think about this. Let's be real tonight. As we try to live for him, we're not going to be perfect at it. But if you go home tonight and you pull a cup out of your cupboard, and you got one that's really dirty and one that's clean, which one are you going to drink out of? I would think the clean one. And some of you are like, doesn't matter? Then that's fine. That's you. And that's fine. But in this life, and as we live, and as we live this life, God wants us to conform us to his son. He wants to make us more like him. And we need to be clean vessels. There are vessels. You, we, we sh and we need to be clean vessels. We need to be careful what we put into our minds, what we see with these eyes, where our feet go, what we let in our heart. We need to be careful with those things. There's a lot I could say down that road tonight. And personal sanctification, it's important. You, are, you, are, you belong to Christ, so you need to walk like it. You need to talk like it. You need to act like a Christian. Do you get that tonight? That's what the Bible... Paul said over and over again, walk worthy of your calling, right? And you say, well, I could ne we're never going to walk worthy of being called a Christian. I get that. But you should be trying. That's why you need to be careful. You're set apart by God. And then you let all the garbage of this world come into your life. A child of God has no business having the garbage of this world inside of them. We see it refers to our walk and service for the Lord. Number two, it's a putting off and putting away, and a putting on. The Bible talks about in Ephesians 4, this is a great passage to look at on it. Ephesians 4, verse 20 through 25 says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Look at what we're supposed to do. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Do you see that passage there? It says, and in this life today, we are supposed to take off that old man and put on the new man. Say, well, how in the world do I do that? It's getting cold outside. A lot of you wore a jacket to church tonight. What did you do? You put the jacket on. 
you walked into the room here, you took your jacket off. That's literally what it's saying here. You are supposed to take off. Now, this is the thing. Inside of each of us, we're saved. We're sanctified. We're perfect in God's eyes. In this world, we got a lot of work to do. And you know that old man inside of you. You know, you know, I, I don't think the new man wants to argue with people. I don't think the new man, I think the new man does things in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and, such, and temperance, right? I don't think the new man gets angry. The old man likes to rear his ugly head all the time. The new man doesn't get prideful. The old man sure does. And so inside of each of us, though we got saved, the old man is still there. And as long as we have on this corruption, we're always going to have that a part of us. And so the Bible says we need to take the old man and put him off and put on the new man. That's what progressive sanctification is like. And this is the thing. In God's sight, you are settled and done. You are set apart. You are perfect. Well, that doesn't make you perfect in this life. And in this life, you've got to take that old man and put him down and you need to put on the new man to be what God wants you to be so he can make you into what he wants you to be. Colossians 3, verse number 9 through 14 says, Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ in all, and in, or is all, and in all, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. You see those thoughts there? You know why we have problems in our church? You know why we can't all get along? Because we all have an old man. If we all walked in the new man, we would never have a problem. Hey, you kids in the room, do you know you would never not get along with all your friends at school if you always put on the new man? The problem is you like to put on the old man and the old girl. Old lady, whatever. I said old man and old girl. Old lady, old lady. And some of you looked at me, watch it. Hey, if you claim being an old lady by responding to me like that, Mona, that's not my fault, you know? There's nothing I can do about that. But we all put on the old man. We put on the old lady. We do. We would never have a problem with anybody if we just walked in Christ and we put on the new man. And in all reality, this is what the Bible says. It is a choice. Am I wrong on that statement? I am not wrong. If you can put off the old man, you can put on the new man. But just you can put on the new man, you can take off the new man. Hey, I'm going to teach you something. I'll show you this old man. That's what we do. But if we're going to be more like Christ, we've got to get rid of that old man and let the new man control things, let the new lady control things. We need the Lord. As we look at these things, it refers to our walk and search for Christ as a putting off and a putting away or a putting on. Number three, it's a reckoning. 
It's a reckoning. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, and there's a lot of verses here that talk about Romans 6, 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's coming to the realization of the fact. Do you realize tonight that those that don't know Christ, they are stuck in their sin. They cannot stop sinning. They can't. There's nothing they can do because they're dead and they are stuck in their sin. They're in the miry clay. They're buried deep in it. But there was a day that you got saved, and guess what happened? You have the power through Christ to say no to sin now. That doesn't mean we do, but we have the power to through the Holy Spirit and through the Lord. It's a, do you realize that tonight? Pastor, I just can't stop sinning. Liar. You can. You can. You can choose to put on the new man. You can choose to walk in the spirit, and you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can do that. We don't want to. So in all reality, let's just be honest here for a minute. To me, it's a lot worse for a Christian to be sinning than it is for a non-Christian to be sinning. And all sin is sin, don't get me wrong there. But as a believer, you've been, you're dead to sin. You could choose not to do it. Where this world, they can't. They're stuck in it. And so we see it's a reckoning. Verse 12 of that same says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let sin have its place. Because you need to reckon it dead. Isn't that what the scripture says here? The Bible says down a few verses, same chapter, Romans 6, verse 19, says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, you see, you yielded it. We yield our members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. You see, that's what sanctification is all about. As an unbeliever, not knowing Christ, you can't do that. Your members are yielded to uncleanness and to iniquity. But because of what we have in Jesus Christ, you can now yield yourself to righteousness and holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. What verses? What, that's just so awesome as we look at that. We also see as we think about this um, progressive sanctification, what we're becoming in Christ, we see number, is it number three, number four? Number four. It's a continual work. I like that little, that kid song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You're a work in progress. You know, we look at our roads out here, and it seems like all the time there's road construction, road construction, and they never get it done. And if they get it done, there's some new road construction. And there's always road construction going on. That's what we're like. We're continual work. You're not going to live this life and be like, guess what? I've arrived in my Christianity because there's pride and you just messed up again. It's a continual work. 
is something that we face, that we continue to do. And Paul would get so frustrated with himself. The things that I want to do, I don't do. Then the things that I, that I shouldn't do, you know, you go back and forth with all that stuff there. And you know what I'm trying to say there. Because we, th- you want to do what's right, and then you don't. And that other, it's part of being who we are. It's a continual work. And as long as we live this life, you're never going to reach, you're never going to be sinless in this life. Number five, we see it's a purposed work. And God's will, and what he's trying to do is to conform us to the image of his son. God's at work. And don't you love that? That God, we talked about free will last week. God lets us do our thing, and he's able to work all things together for good. And though men do their thing, God has a purpose behind it all. God, this is the thing. So you say, well, I messed up, so it must have been God's will because he's making me, and no, don't even go there. When you start blaming God for the stupid things you do in your life, you got problems. You did the stupid thing because you wanted to. You sinned because you decided to sin. You decided to keep on the old man and not on the new man. You have only yourself to blame. But God can take your mess-ups and still make something special out of it. That's what's so awesome about him. There's a lot that's awesome about him. When we look at this, so are we getting this tonight? We see when it comes to sanctification, there's positional. It's who we are in Christ. We are perfect tonight in Christ. Letter B, we see progressive sanctification, a working that goes on. We are working on it here in this life, right? Which leads to letter C, perfect sanctification. What we shall be in Christ. In this present life, we live in this world. We are not perfect. We have on flesh. But there will come a day when we will be perfect like Jesus sees, or like God sees us now. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6, being confident, I love this verse, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 3, verse number 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the, sa- for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21 of that same chapter, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse number 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do towards you. Verse 13 there, to the end, he may establish your heart unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father when at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Look at what it says. But we know that when he shall appear... We shall be like him, for he shall see him as he is. Now, 
let's tie this all together, okay? What is sanctification? We see there's positional, which means when Jesus, when God looks at Brian tonight, I am perfect in God's eyes. There is progressive sanctification, that as I live this life, God is working on me and conforming me and making me in what he wants me to be. And when I get to be with him, I will be perfect. That's what sanctification is. Do we do you see that? Hopefully you see that. And if you don't see that, I don't know how else to say it to you. We basically see the fact of who we are in Christ, what we're becoming in Christ, and what we shall be in Christ. Now, when we talk about this, I want to go a little bit further on things. We're doing our own time. So we see the nature of sanctification. We see what sanctification is. I want you to see number two tonight, the work of sanctification. The work of sanctification. Are you ready? In general, and as we look at this letter A, it is entirely the work God. Our sanctification is entirely the work of God. Say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, look at what the Bible has to say. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. You see, when it comes to saying, you see the Father here, God, the God of peace. The next verse there is 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 30. It says, but, ye are, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 16, it says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being what? Sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So in all reality, we've seen that we're sanctified by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The entire work of God. If you want a few more verses, 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 2, we'll go down to it, says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. When we look at this, I want you to understand something tonight, that our sanctification is completely based entirely on Jesus Christ. As we live this life, how can I, as a believer today, live a sanctified life? So, well, Pastor, you already said I cannot be perfect. That is true. But you should be trying I'm going to give you a few little thoughts here to help you tonight. When we look at the work of sanctification, it's entirely of God. But when we look at this, how can I apply it to my daily life? So I want you to see letter B in our daily life. How can we apply it to our daily life? And this is all we got left. We're almost there. 
Bible tells us in Philippians 1, verse number 6, look at this verse again, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So may I remind you once again that your sanctification is purely based on the Lord and his working. Am I wrong on that statement? I don't think I am. In our daily life, what, has, what tools has God given to help us today? Number one, his word. His word. You want to le- live a clean, separated life today? You need to be in the word of God. You know what, we, and, and when you're in the word of God, it's going to do some good. Sin will either, this is what's going to happen, sin's going to keep you from God's book. It will. Sin will keep you from God's word. And the Bible, look at some of these verses here. Psalm 118, verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Hey, as we look at this life and we look at things, you've got to understand something. How can, I, how can I live for the Lord today? It starts by being in God's word. You need the word of God. You're, this world's not going to teach you how to cleanse your way. This book's going to. And Christian, the problem is, you know why you're struggling so much in your life on top of being a sinner? It's because you're not in this book. This book can change your life. This book can help you. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Man, we need the word of God deep inside. It needs to renew our minds. It needs to do a work inside of us. We need the word of God. God's word is so important. Think about John 15, 3. Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. God's word can keep you clean. Say, Pastor, I just can't do it in this life. I can't, I just can't do right. Yes, you can. Get in the word of God. Spend time in the word. How do you get clean each day? You take a shower or a bath, whatever you do. And some of you, some of you teenagers and young people, you should probably do it a little more often. Let's start bringing my cologne out of my office and spraying you down before church after you're sweating outside for a while. You use soap, right? Soap cleans, it cleanses. What helps sanctify, what cleanses us? This book. I know there are some people, they don't use soap, but you should use soap when you wash your hands. That's a good thing to do. If you wash your hands, there are some that don't even wash their hands. But what's the point? I just used water. Oh, so you're just spreading the germs all over your hands and on everything else and everything you touch afterwards, right? No, soap, soap's an important thing. You can be clean through God's word. And that's why it's so important you get God's word and you bury it deep inside. One of the best things my parents did for me, and I know people have different thoughts about all this, but I really don't care what your thought is about it because it's a good thought. When I, messed, when I did things wrong, I wrote Bible verses. And in all reality, to, today, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. If I write a letter or two with my hand, I have carpal tunnel. My hand goes numb. And you say, well, why does that happen? I sincerely believe it's from all the verses I wrote as a kid. I am not exaggerating. I went through tablets upon tablets upon tablets. But man, it was good for me. 
Did I like it? No. You say, well, why would you punish someone with the word? They weren't punishing me. They were helping me. And when you can identify, and I'm glad I had parents that could identify my weaknesses and said, all right, Brian, this is where you're struggling. This is the verse you're going to write. That's why if you notice when kids get in trouble at school for things, they write Bible verses. Where did that come from? Because that's what I did. And if you could, and let's be honest here, adults. If you would write out some verses about some of the areas you struggle with, you know, you might quit gossiping if you memorize some verses about what God thinks about gossip. You might get along with people and be kind if you wrote out some verses about kindness. And maybe instead of being mean to someone, that verse would pop in your mind and then you're not going to do wrong. Because when you've got God's word buried deep inside, it helps you. Now, does God's word always keep me from sinning? No, because that old man still wants to do his thing at times. But there has been many a time, and I'll, I, as a kid, I remember as a teenager, every teenager thinks they're right about everything. And some of you are like, my kid thinks that and they're eight years old. Wait till they're 13. Wait till they're 14. It's only going to get worse. And then they're going to get in their 30s and they'll be like, wow, I know nothing. And I thought I knew everything 18 years ago and I know nothing now. And how much I know then? But they think they know everything. And so as a teenager, my mom would and my mom would say something or something would go on and I would run my mouth. I remember one time my mom and I got in an argument over and I, and I was right, okay? I was right on this one. So my mom was was geographically a little confused on things. And so literally from where we lived, you could see Idlewild. She said it was Big Bear. And I said, Mom, you're wrong. That's not something you say. And, and it's one of those things, looking back on it, why in the world did I say it? And, and then I wouldn't drop it. I kept it going. And I'm like, Mom, when you have Big Bear, there's Arrowhead next to it. It's a longer one. Idlewild, it goes, and then it comes down. And I just didn't let go. I should have just shut my mouth. Even though I was right, and I was right. I was wrong for talking to my mom that way. And some of you kids in this room, you listen to me and you listen to me good. God didn't, cre- God didn't create you to correct your parents. God created your parents to correct you and to train you into what you need to be. So you need to leave your parents alone and shut your mouth and let them train you and let them guide you. And if they can't learn that, and you say, Pastor, you learned that? It took a while. And I wish I would have learned it sooner than what I did. But the verses I wrote out, whoso keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. There's a lot of other verses I can go through tonight. You want to obtain favor of the Lord? Learn to shut your mouth. And it was a good day. You say, how did you learn to shut your mouth? Bible verses would pop into my mind, and then this is an amazing thing. I'm going to teach you a quick trick. I still use it to this day. You see your tongue? You bite the end of it, just barely. What does Brian want to do? He just wants to. And there are times that some of you get me a little irritated. And I just want to. And so if you ever see me. I'm biting the edge of my tongue. And I'm putting verses into my mind to keep me from saying things. Does it always work? No. And there are times 
I let the tongue loose, and it just, you know, it just goes, 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 goes. And then I look, why did I do that? Because I'm not perfect. But the Word of God could change your life if you would let it. And this is what I believe Satan does. He, Satan knows what he's doing. He is getting us to the point as Christians where hardly a Christian knows the Word of God anymore. Or we know bits and pieces, but we don't know all of it. I would encourage you to get to know God's Word. John 17, I'm almost done. I said that several times. I'm not lying to you. I am almost done. John 17, verse 16 to 19 says, that this was Jesus in his prayer. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. This is Jesus praying to God. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Give them that holy, through your word. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. In our practical daily living, how do we live for the Lord? I do believe in a separated Christian life tonight. I do believe a Christian should live different than this world. We should not talk like this world. We should not act like this world. We are not of this world, so why should we do those things? I'm a firm believer in that. And the best way to do it is to be in the Word of God. Number two, or letter B, whatever we're at. Your attitude towards sin. You know why we sin? Because we want to. And we like our sin. We like our sin. Oh no, pastor, I can't stand my sin. Then why do you do it? Romans 6, verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Where are you yielding yourself? As we look at this thing on how we live our life as a Christian today, you need to be in the word of God and then it matters who you yield yourself to. Are you yielding yourself to the flesh or are you yielding yourself to the spirit? Are you letting God work or are you letting the flesh work? And I'll tell you this, if we could get a hold of this as a church, the way I see some of you interact and treat others, it would be amazing what could happen if you get a hold of this and act like Christ and yield yourself to Christ and live like him. We could all get along. We could all like one another. Amazing what could happen. And lastly, that's it, right? One last verse, though. 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What is sanctification? It's being set apart, set apart, holy, perfect. When we look at the Lord, when the Lord looks at us, you are perfect in him because he sees Jesus Christ and his righteousness. It's been imputed to us. As we live this life, we are becoming more like the Lord and he's working in us. You will, in this life, you will not reach perfection. 
and you will not be sinless. You will, I hope that you, you will not be sinless, but you should be sinning less. I think that's a good way of wording it right there. And as we go through this life, he is working on us. He's making us into something. And when we get to be with him, we will be perfect.